Go ahead and keep your Bibles open to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be using that as our text. <laughs> it's kind of different here. <laughs> using that as our text this morning. And with that in mind, I want to ask you a question to start off with. What is the single greatest difficulty that belongs in the Lord's church? We may have different answers. I believe the single greatest difficulty we have in the Lord's church is we're sinners. And because sin is in this world, we have trials. We have difficulties. And outside the Lord's church are sinners. The only difference is we're saved by the precious blood of Jesus. Now, there are other differences regarding our walk and the way we live, but really, when you look at it, I have actually seen, literally, people who do not believe in Jesus Christ more morally upright than some of my brothers and sisters that I've seen in Christ. Some more morally upright than I have lived at various times in my life, trying to serve the Lord. And so I see that greatest difficulty as sin, which brings forth trials. And in fact, when you go back to the very beginning, and similar to the article that was written in the bulletin, is the fact that because sin is in this world, we have trials, we have difficulties, every one of us. I mean, with sin comes destruction, with sin comes decay, and everything that is dark. And so we're talking about having courage in the midst of these trials, these difficulties that we're faced with. And the thing is that when, when we look at the trials that we are faced with, it all boils down to the fellowship that we have with each other. You stop and consider, why is it that churches split? I've been in Fayetteville for 15 years, in Georgia, 15 years, and there is a, a, a congregation nearby, an institutional congregation, and they've gone through three splits in the 15 years that I've been here. Fine. Well, when I spoke to some of the brethren in that congregation, they would say to me, well, it's because of this doctrinal problem that's going on. And when I speak to other brethren, it's because, well, it was the elders' fault. They weren't doing what they needed to do. And when I spoke to other brethren, they're saying it's because these people don't like these people. It doesn't matter whether it's a one-cup, no-classroom congregation, or institutional congregations, I've heard the same argumentation, even among conservative, sound congregations. Same scenarios as far as, you know, why did this church or this congregation split? Our, our challenge is before us. In the short 21 years I've been a Christian, I have seen churches get smaller and smaller and smaller on a congregational level. In my mind, when I hear that a church is growing, my first question is, are they really growing or is the Lord's church shifting, moving from one church congregation, if you will, to another? So when I hear church growth, I question that, first of all. Is it growth or is it shift? And then I'll ask the question, why is this? And I'll get the same thing. Well, it's a doctrinal problem. No, it's a personal problem. It's uh, this person's problem. And we don't take accountability for the things that we, we believe and stand for. And so our fellowship is challenged every single day. And, and as a result, there are breaches in the fellowship that we have with each other. And that's what you're reading about in Nehemiah. You see, when you read the Old Testament Scriptures, what I love about reading the Old Testament are all the shadows. 
typology, if you will. When you can see something that represents something else, but you see it more on a physical level, if you will. There were a whole lot more than broken walls going on in Jerusalem in the days that these walls need to be fixed. I mean, they had opportunity to fix it for a number of years before Nehemiah showed up. There are problems going on within the household of faith, if you will. There are also problems from without. There are those, as a result of these, that brings reproach upon the Lord's church. And I do remember when I first moved to Fayetteville, the first year, I heard whispers. All those annies. All those liberals. And I was hearing it from brothers and sisters in the congregation that I'm a part of. And I heard it from the other congregation down the road. And so, when, when I was hearing these things, what came to my mind was, what do people in the community, who don't know anything about this church or that church, within and among the churches of Christ, what comes upon them? How do they view the Lord's body? Let me broaden it even greater. Do you know that in the world, the, the people in the world that don't know about the Lord's church, they don't care if you're Catholic or if you're Church of Christ or if you're Methodist or for that matter, if you're Mormon. They don't care about any of those things. You know what they think of you? You're a Christian in their eyes. They don't know any better. But here's the point. From a broad religious point, and then we break, narrow it down within the body of Christ. Right here. Reproach. People ridicule us today. They ridicule Christians today. Because they're brothers and sisters in Christ that they can get hold of and they see their lifestyle and they see someone who proclaims to be a Christian living an ungodly lifestyle. Brings reproach. And they see fighting that goes on within a congregation or among congregations. There's reproach. And the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, how? How are we going to rebuild the walls? Every Lord's um, people, or every congregation among God's people, need to ask this question on a very serious level because what's happening is, and this is from a denominational number standpoint, we don't take surveys within the conservative churches of Christ. We don't have anyone doing number crunches and what have you. But what I hear from a denominational standpoint and then what I hear from a personal experience standpoint is generally consistent. Seventy percent of children who grow up going to church with their parents have left whatever church that was. Seventy. That's a recent number. Can you imagine? Think about the church here in Franklin. How many of us as parents have children who have, quote-unquote, left the church. And maybe y'all, if you were to take a survey, would it be 5%, 10%, 20 50 Is it more? I know that in Fayetteville, I, I've not counted the numbers, but I know of a number of children no longer there, no longer worshiping the Lord at all happens even in the most wonderful congregation that I think of in Fayetteville. How do we repair those walls? When we go through the book of Jeremiah, one of the things that I'm wanting us to do is quickly just do a survey through the first six chapters. And I want you to see what was going on to bring us to the point in chapter six that I believe 
helps us today in seeing our walls, if you will, that we have that have been broken down and need to be repaired. When you look at the first chapter, here's Nehemiah. Typically a very happy person. He's in captivity, by the way, and for him to be a happy person tells you a little bit about him. But he's the cupbearer, right? For the king. And the king sees his face that he is sad. And he says to Nehemiah, listen, why is your countenance sad? And Nehemiah's response is, King, why wouldn't I be sad when I've been hearing great reports about the fact that our walls have been brought down and we are reproached to the people in the surrounding nations? The king says, well, what would you like for me to do? He says, well, please send me over that we may take care of this business. And so the king, of course, his wife is there with him and saying, well, how long are you going to be gone, Nehemiah? Apparently, king has great affinity for Nehemiah. And Nehemiah then says, you know, it's going to be such, such and such time. But Nehemiah, before he even speaks to the king, if you look at verse 5 and verse 6 of, of the text here, has one of the fastest recording prayers of all Scripture in the Bible. I believe it is, at least the way it is recorded. And I want to uh, read that with you so that we can kind of see this prayer and what's going on um, with Nehemiah and his heart that he has. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll open up to the text here. It says here in verse 5. Uh, last part of verse 4 says, I was fasting in prayer before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you today, night and day, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you, both my fathers, and I have sinned. Now, before he is sent to the king, notice these words. He's been praying day and night for all this time. Now, he's before the king. The king finds out that he is sad. Notice what he says um, in verse 4 of chapter 2. The king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Have you ever had a time when you're faced with a situation, someone says something or does something, and you have about one second to respond? So I prayed to God of heaven. Of course, he had been praying much before then. And he opens his mouth and says to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah. So, he hears of all that's going on, and he goes to Jerusalem as a result of the king's graciousness to him, and he goes to survey the wall. When he enters Jerusalem, after three days being there, he decides, not telling any soul of his business, to go through all around the walls. Now, how many of you have heard about a recent archaeological finding in Jerusalem about Nehemiah's wall? Anyone here? Two people. Three. The wall is huge. It's wide. Uh, it's every bit as wide, or if not almost as wide as the beginning of this to the very end, to the back over here. That's about how wide the wall would be, at least eight feet wide. Now imagine the stones that you would have to get just to get eight feet wide, let alone going up so many feet high. And there are many breaches all throughout the wall. If you bring your Bible maps out, look at the wall of what it's like during the days of David the king and soon after then, and look at where the boundaries are. That's a lot of wall building. Now, unlike today, where we can get our John Deere's and whatever else 
big earth movers, they're picking up stones by hand. I don't know if they have a factory line where they do it back and forth, but it says there are those who are counted as those who would bear the burden. They would carry the stones. And others then would go ahead and, and place them. But note, much of these walls and many of the gates have been burned down. They're not there. So can you picture then places where, you know, the wall that would be maybe 15, 20 feet high are now such where people can just literally step on those stones and walk across? And that they're wide enough where you can actually fit houses in the width of those breaches. All throughout. And imagine if you were to pick up some of those stones that had been burned down. The burnt are crisp. They serve no real strong, sturdy purpose anymore. In fact, when you look at the text, um, particularly in chapter 6, it says that in, in some of the, the old writing styles that the rubbish that was there was so great. That word rubbish means dust. That's where you get the word rubbish from. It just means dust. That's how burned down these walls had been. So here he is, he's surveying all this around the city. Wall after wall, gate after gate. And this is what he sees. Next day he goes to, to meet with the men and says, here's what we need to do. We're going to repair these walls. Now mind you, when this happens, this basically is day one. Okay? So as he's going through and looking at what needs to be repaired, they start building, uh, they start repairing the work. Notice what begins to happen. I want to just jump right down to verse 23 of chapter 3. I want you to look at the statement that is given here, and then we'll look at verse 28 as well. After going from family after family after family, some of these families live within Jerusalem, some live in the country. These families are working together, and these families are, this is where they are, and this is where they're building. Verse 23 says, After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. So imagine then, here is a typical Jewish home, and opposite them is this wall. And that's where they're building. It says, After that, um, after them, Azariah, the son of Maaseiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. The next family over here, and they build the repairs, the bricks that is right in front of their homes. Drop down to verse 28 because we're talking about these priests now. And it says, beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. So there are many people, not all of them live right where the wall is. They're in various parts of the city. But many of them that live right on the wall's edge, that's where they're going to fix. If we had a city wall right around Franklin, and there are enemies that we know at some point they're going to come and attack us. At least they're threatening for it. How good would you repair your wall? You're not working for the Union. Sorry. You're going to build your wall to the best of your ability. You are going to do everything you can to make sure that that wall is not going to be breached upon. It will not be broken through. At least you're going to do your best for such. Now imagine what it's like to actually go out and get stones. Because number one, you're going to have to take all this rubbish, you're going to have to take all this dust and remove it. Can you imagine tons and tons of stones, thousands of stones, many pounds each, and you have to remove them. Son, Levi, sit down. And you have to be able then to go out into the field, get your stones, and then come back with stones and repair the wall. 
I don't know what it's like to do great physical labor. I've been preaching for 20 years. <laughs> Before then, I used to carry stones. I was a stone bearer, and I used to go repair people's ponds or you know, build up the pond or at least the borders of it. Before that, I was in construction when I had strength in me and could do all that young men's work. And that's hard work, but I can't imagine doing it morning, noon, and night every single day. But that's what they're doing these 52 days. Here's what else is happening around this time. We are told in, in the fourth chapter that you have these surrounding nations. You remember when, when Nehemiah received for permission, he specifically asked the king that he could have letters in his hand that he could give to the governors. Let them know that he had authority not just to be able to repair the wall, but to get the resources from the area. And look at what we have here in the fourth chapter. It so happened when Sambalat, verse 1 of chapter 4, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. That's where the word reproach comes from. It's this mocking. And he spoke before his brethren and said, and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? There's your dust. Stones that are burned? Can you imagine? That's no different than what goes on today. God's people now, mind you, had been in captivity, had gone through their 70 years of humiliation, and now, after some time of returning, they still haven't fully given themselves over to the Word of God, given themselves to the service of the Lord, and here's the result, reproach. Here's the way people look at the people of God during this time of Nehemiah. How discouraging it was. You know today what I hear among brethren? I hear something very similar where you get reproaches. Today, Christianity is just ridiculed more and more. In fact, it is an amazing thing that we would even talk this way. In school systems, taxpayer money now, particularly in California, is going to Islam. Taxpayer money, textbooks, places to wash your feet, in elementary schools, public school systems. But with Christianity, you can't even have a, a prayer out loud. And when you see it on TV, it's mocked on all these TV shows. Just completely disrespectful to our God in heaven. Same thing going on. That's the way the, these brethren are being mocked by the people of the land. They're threatening to tear down those walls. Now mind you, they haven't done anything yet. They've just been threatening. And so these people are being discouraged. In fact, some of them ten times came to Nehemiah saying, Hey, listen. We need help. We need to have these walls repaired where we live. Can you imagine if you have a huge breach in front of your house? Sure you'd want help. So Nehemiah sends in people from outside the country to live in the city while the repairs are being made. But if that's not enough, there are other problems going on. How is it possible that, that with all the discouragement from without, why would you have anything within, to further discourage. And yet that's what's going on. When you go to the fifth chapter, particularly when you get to the, the latter part, you have one of the men that comes up to Nehemiah. And he says, hey, you need to come to the temple. In fact, lock yourself within the temple because Sanballat and his friends, 
the Korhite, and you got the, the Ammonite and the Arabian, they're coming for you. They're going to kill you. In fact, they're coming at night. So go ahead and lock yourself in. Why would a brother tell his other brother something that people outside the body can use to their advantage to destroy people of God? And yet, that's exactly what, what was taking place. I mean, just a little bribe was all he needed. Can you imagine? Brethren, those are the very things that can go on within the body of Christ today. Here's a brother in Christ, and here's another brother in Christ. And for some reason, this brother in Christ somehow gets a great advantage to his life by turning his back against his own brother in Christ. That's what happens today. And that's where the world comes in and mocks the church that belongs to our Lord. And so there's great discouragement that comes from within. But here's, to me, where the divine providence of God comes in. People in the world would misuse and very loosely use the word miracle. And if we could get very loose and inappropriately use the word miracle, I would say it's a miracle. I don't know how you get a wall built in 52 days when you look at all the reproaches that are done. Fortunately, because we know God's Word, we are told that with God all things are possible. And this was happening through hands, through long hours and toil, faith in action, if you will, by the people of God. Fifty-two days later, and you have the walls where maybe they weren't up all the way to their full height, but they were up and repaired. Fifty-two days. Imagine this congregation here. How many people in construction here? <laughs> Probably no more than a few, right? And yet imagine if in two weeks, bare hands, no machinery, this building is made. We're not talking habitat for humanity. We're talking about just people that just don't do this for a living. That's an amazing thing. We're talking about huge, heavy boulders, if you will. I, I don't know if that's determined, but these large rocks making up that wall. That's phenomenal. Brethren, what can happen in 52 days, physically speaking, can happen 52 days in the Lord's kingdom, in any congregation. There are churches that are so full of this uh, reputation just being downtrodden upon by the community because of their ways. You think it could never be reestablished. There are those that ridicule the body of Christ in various communities in this country. In fact, I'll say this. I remember um, meeting up with a sister in Christ last year. I was in a meeting in Conyers, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, and there was a sweet, sweet sister in Christ. She just obeyed the gospel. She had come from a Mennonite community. She said, Mitch, the church here in Conyers is too liberal for the Mennonites. I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, Look at the way y'all dress here compared to the way the Mennonites would dress. Look at how you live, how you spend your money so lavishly, how we are as stewards. I had to shut my mouth. But there are a lot of things from the community, from a worldly perspective, that would say, y'all aren't really good, faithful Christians. If you guys were, then you would follow in the footsteps of Jesus and you would be persecuted for what you're doing. And again, our mouths would be shut. How many of us here are literally going to persecution for standing up for Jesus Christ. 
Because I can't raise my hand. Now, I have in the past in some small ways, but nothing like what I read of in Scripture. And you see, with all of these things, all these walls that have been breached, they need repairing. And there's all kinds of ways in which we need to be repairing these walls. And so, when we look at these breaches that have gone unrepaired, what do we do today? Because in the Lord's church, there are many, again, who have turned away from the Lord, who have gone the course of this world. And it was my statement this morning in, in the auditorium Bible class, at least I made the implication, that we get so focused on these other things that our walls are being torn down. And what we need to do is be very diligent, set to the task, focused, if you will, on doing what, can, what we can to have these walls repaired. And so one of the things that I think of is for us to do just like in the days of Nehemiah, where in one hand you had your sword, spiritual sword, of course, Ephesians 6, verse 12, when we put on the armor of God, and in the other hand we're put to the task of working. Brethren, here's one of the reproaches on the Lord's church that takes place. And I had this from a Jehovah's Witness that told me this once. He said, how much do the brethren give themselves over to evangelism? When I studied with one particular Jehovah's Witness. And I was just very general. Well, you know, people will go out, they'll talk to their neighbors and whatever. Well, how much time do they spend? And what she was wanting me to get to, she and her husband, was what kind of hour number can you put in? Because with Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't know if you know about their work schedule. They work no more than 32 hours, so they get their bare minimum for full benefits. That rest of the time, they're out knocking on doors. And it's a very fast-growing uh name, if you will, that they have for, for Christ, uh, a cult, I believe, but they're fast growing. Of course, they're one of the fastest departures as well for various reasons that we could talk about. But one hand with a sword and one hand working. And what we do in, in the body of Christ, and it's true with various denominations as well, is that, that you'll have people who are simply great workers with their jobs. Great at working overtime. Great at doing what they can to make their company have a great name. And there's nothing wrong with being a good worker for your company. But the work of the Lord goes unheeded. And when we talk about having the preacher come in, and if the church grows because of the preacher, that's not the church doing the work. We need the Word of God in every worker that belongs to God. And that's why these walls need to be repaired in this way. It's a very important issue. We have got to be busy working. And when we do that, brethren, 52 days, I promise you, you'll see the church growing. God always adds to his kingdom those daily who are being saved. You know why? Well, look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 2, for that matter. 3, 4, 5. <laughs> the church is busy working for the Lord. You know the, the day job? It's just that. It's just to get us through life. It's the real work that we need. And when you go back to Nehemiah's days, look what happened when Nehemiah and Ezra came back and rebuked his, their brethren for, for not working. The other thing, too, is that when we look at this, we have their uh, outside forces wanting to destroy us. We've got to be able to defend the faith. Today, it's almost as if this is the, the typical story that you'll hear, right? 
Jonah and the whale? <laughs> oh, no, no, Jonah and the fish, right? So we, we're good. We, we've got that down. We've got the fact down. We don't know if it's a whale or not. And then what's the moral of the story? We have some children's lesson. Rather than a conviction about a sovereign God who has his will being done by, by someone who belongs in his kingdom but refusing to do his will, and then you have all these Gentiles who have no relationship with God that God loves, and they repent at the hearing of this Jehovah. Like the men on that great ship that didn't want Jonah to have his loss, uh, have his life, life lost. Or like the Ninevites who after hearing the preaching of Jonah repented. These outside forces, they want nothing but to destroy Christianity. How do we defend who our God is? That was one of the reasons why I gave the lesson this morning in Luke. The word apologetics, right? Big fancy words, simply we're just being able to defend what we believe. And we might talk about people saying, well, you need to be baptized in Christ, and they do need to be baptized in Christ to have those sins washed away. But where's the defense for the belief that we have? Well, it's there someplace. One of these days I'll get to that passage and I'll remember it. My memory's bad. That's my wife. My memory's awful. The only thing that it's good for, thankfully to God, is I can remember God's Word. can't remember my last name to save my life, but I can remember God's Word better. But we need to be able to stand up for the defense of what we believe. And brethren, Bible study is so key but it's not for the sake of Bible study. It's not so that we can say, look at what I know. It's because there's lost souls. Souls that bring reproach upon the Lord's church. Souls that just talk about how bad the Lord's church is. They need to know how awesome God is. How great our Savior is. And all that He has done for us. So that when they see you and they see your light shining and they hear your teaching and that your life is full of power and authority, they glorify God. Sounds like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. About letting your light so shine before the world that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what they need. And that takes you bearing your sword. Knowing God's word. Not just trivial information about how old Methuselah is. But having good, solid knowledge so that you can stand up for the faith. That's the way we repair the walls. And then there's many. It's simply... Well, I'm going to fast forward past this. They simply hinder the work. They're brothers and sisters in Christ hindering the work. Can you believe it? If you ask them, they're going to say no. And you may be the ones that are hindering the work of the Lord. Because of the way we talk about each other. I'll give you an analogy. Husband and wife. Husband loves wife. Wife loves husband. Wife says to girlfriends, Oh, my husband. Husband says about wife, oh, my wife. That's not how you build up walls. And the same thing in the Lord's body. One of the, the worst things I have is my memory about various things. One of my best things is I forget a lot of things that I don't want to remember. I'm glad for it. Because there's things that you might hear that will tear each other down. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, look at the text here. I love that verse 16 is, is really helpful, particularly when you start in verse 15 about being diligent to show ourselves approved before our God. But look at what else he goes on to say in the text here. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says here in verse 16, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer, of which two names are mentioned. Spread like cancer. That's what, what goes on in the body of Christ with that leavening agent. It's like cancer. And in the body of Christ, many will talk about each other. And they'll talk to people in the world about how awful it is, and this is what we do, and this is all. Oh, it's just, just awful. Hindering the, the building up of the body. One of the things I like in Fayetteville is that when we have problems, brethren generally will go to the person, talk to them. There's always someone that decides to, in fact, go to the elder rather than the individual, go to some other person than the individual because, well, they just need to understand the situation better. Well, go to the individual. You can understand the situation a whole lot better. Hindrance within the body. It happens. And we're not perfect about it. We're again, we're sinners that have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. We've got to mold our character. We've got to grow in the Lord. And so we learn how to stop tearing down walls and start building them up. And here's what we need to do. Attend to our own business. Remember that situation I was reading in, in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, verse um, 23 and verse 28 in particular, and how the house was opposite the wall or right in front of the house was the wall? What a great principle. Sounds like Matthew chapter 7. You know, does not lest you be judged, for with what judgment you use it shall be meted out against you. In other words, you know, tend to your own business. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But what it does mean is, you focus on your broken down walls first and foremost. Kind of like how you take care of that plank in your eye before you get the speck out of your brothers. When you take care of your business, you have confidence and authority by way of God's teaching to go and correct your brethren with all due love and humility because you know what it's like to have that broken down wall rebuilt. That's what we need to be doing. Instead of gossip and busybodies. Can you imagine if all I did was talk to people while they're trying to be busy building up their wall? They'd never get their work done, right? No, I wasn't thinking about you, Phil. <laughs> I thought that was already the <laughs> Just meddling into people's lives. Meddling into everything. Going from house to house, well, you know about so-and-so, and you know about so-and-so, rather than working on what we have before our God. We need to do that, rather than be time wasters. We get sidetracked because of this evil. We get so focused on these various issues that here's what we're doing, and this goes on in so many congregations in this country. We're focused on these various quote-unquote doctrines, which again are very important. But rather than just focusing on these doctrines, we could be going out saving souls to the kingdom. And now some might say, but Mitch, you cannot save souls until you fix your house. I understand wisdom in that. Can we not do both? There's 24 hours in a day. But we know that there are souls that need to be saved by the precious blood of Jesus while we work and tend to our own affairs and building up the body of Christ. That's why we're called living stones. Living stones that are so crucial to the kingdom. And so we need to repair what is lacking so that we can take out that speck out of our brother's eye.
the one that, that has also um, come to the Lord can grow in the Lord. And they see your good and chaste conduct. And they get to see what it's like to be a mature Christian. Because you're giving your life. And they get to see that even this mature brother in Christ is just like me, the sinner. I know our elders in Fayetteville, they'll be the first to tell you. And these are godly men. Godly men that I, I just I love dearly. They'll be the first to tell you. They've got weaknesses in their life that they've got to work on. We all do. But we get to see mature men growing in the Lord and emulate that because we see these men busy about the work of the Lord, busy in the kingdom of the Lord so that the body of Christ, in fact, grows spiritually as well as numerically. And so, as a result then, we're going to be fitly or uh, fitted together by what every joint supplies. That's what a good, healthy body looks like, right? So my wife, before we got married, I said, Honey, you're marrying a wrestler. I want you to know that there are ramifications to marrying a wrestler. In a few years from now, you'll be walking behind me, watching my body parts fall apart. <laughs> and you're going to have to pick those things up. The body just doesn't do so good after much abuse. Well, guess what? With much abuse in the kingdom of the Lord, it just doesn't function so well. Instead of walls that have been breached upon, you have broken joints. And instead of every joint what they're supposed to be doing for the work of the Lord, instead it's broken down bodies within, within Christ. And so if every one of us were to work 52 days from now, guess what would happen to the congregation here? As any congregation in the kingdom of God. Just tremendous growth. I'm hearing about growth all over the world that is going on where hundreds of people are turning to, to the Lord and the gospel of our Lord. It's because brethren are busy at the task. And it cannot happen unless every believer does their part. It cannot happen. Look again at Acts chapter 8. The church went everywhere preaching the word. Today churches grow the same way. Not by being busybodies, but being busy at the Lord's work. So I'm hoping that when you, when you look at this lesson that you'll see and without realizing it, we've got breaches. And sometimes it's just a matter of just having an open, honest look and then expounding upon some of those breaches that take place. But if we have the courage, like Nehemiah did, and like the people who followed his leadership, amazing things happen. Not because of us. We're just workers. But because of our God, who sees his workers busy in his kingdom, and he blesses. That can happen everywhere, including Franklin. Regardless of whether I labor with you, not for you, but with you, or if some other brother in Christ you have to labor with you. And when that happens, the breaches go away, walls are built up, and they're strengthened, so much so that we glorify God.